My goodness gracious. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I can hardly believe we're in June here in 2019 and the academic year is all but wrapped up. For those of you who have followed the show, I thank you kindly. And for those of you just listening in for the first time, right on and thanks for tuning in. If you haven't already, please make sure to rate the show on Apple Podcasts and maybe leave a nice review if uh, you're feeling kind of nice and generous here. There are 23 earlier episodes to listen to and we'll be wrapping up in the next couple weeks for the summer break with just a few more. It really has been a pleasure having you along for this journey here at PCC Sustain Me. All right, well, let's get to today's episode, shall we? From Portland Community College, this is PCC Sustain Me. I'm Joe Colhane, and today I'll be talking with Jacob LaBelle of Our Children's Trust and the Youth v. Gov trial, as well as PCC's Eco Social Justice event. Boom, boom, darkness falls, headlights in the afternoon. <sighs> Thanks once again for tuning in, folks. I had the great pleasure and honor of sitting down with Jacob LaBelle, the third plaintiff I've had on the show of the 21 youth plaintiffs in the Juliana v. United States trial, deemed the climate trial of the century. And tomorrow, right here in Portland, Oregon, there will be a huge rally downtown, along with dozens across the country who will be rallying in solidarity as the case is moving forward with this really crucial injunction hearing that kicks off on June 4th of 2019. At this day, mind you, maybe one of those that is looked back upon as a genuine turning point for our nation confronting the ever more unsettling reality we face with climate chaos and environmental breakdown happening. That is, of course, largely connected to carbon emissions and our presently insatiable thirst for fossil fuels, or should I say, uh, molecules of freedom. (laughs) Oh, molecules of freedom. That is rich. Uh, Anyways, before I get into the really nice conversation I had with Jacob, I would like to start by acknowledging that this program is being recorded on the traditional village sites of the Multnomah, Kathlamit, Clackamas, Bands of Chinook, Tualatin Kalapuya, Molala, and many other tribes who made their homes along the Columbia River. Multnomah is a band of Chinooks that lived in this area. We thank the descendants of these tribes for being the original stewards and protectors of these lands since time immemorial. We also acknowledge that Portland, Oregon has the ninth largest urban Native American population in the U.S., with over 380 federally recognized tribes represented in the urban Portland metropolitan area. We also acknowledge the systemic policies of genocide, relocation, and assimilation that still impact many indigenous Native American families today. We are honored by the collective work of many Native nations, leaders, and families who are demonstrating resilience, resistance, revitalization, healing, and creativity. 
We are honored to be guests upon these lands. Thank you, and thanks also to our colleagues at the Portland State University Indigenous Nation Studies Program for crafting this acknowledgement. All right, where to begin? I suppose first off, I would also like to acknowledge that I've been swamped with schoolwork and the goings-on of life with family at home, and well, my time is winding down as a student here at Portland Community College in just a couple weeks, and it has been really bittersweet uh, these last couple months, really, and I'm doing what I can to stay focused on finishing strong, (laughs) doing what I can, and you know, That involves a bit of catching up with uh, this particular episode here that was an interview I did with Jacob LaBelle on the last day of April at the tail end of our Earth Week goodness at PCC this year. He was a speaker and did a great presentation during our third annual eco-social justice event. There were over 100 student leaders from all four campuses and different identity-based resource centers, and it was really a a powerful full day of events, and I was just really grateful that Jacob was willing to take some time after his keynote to speak with me, and you know what? Without further ado, let's just get right into that talk now. Thank you for coming to PCC and uh, helping represent the Youth v. Gov and our Children's Trust. And your talk was awesome. And just before I hit record, you were mentioning how you've now brought in these other projects that you're you're a part of beyond just the Juliana um, v. Gov case, which uh, I think is really cool. Do you mind starting with maybe that? So the audience that listens to this is broad, but... um. You are, I just realized you were on the program once because I went to the Jordan Cove protest mm-hmm. at Salem and you were on the mic and I just did an episode where mm-hmm. you were, you are, so there's been an introduction to your, <laughs> to your, you know, passion and work, but, uh, maybe if you don't mind uh, a brief background context, obviously you just did like an hour long <laughs> keynote on it, but, um, to give, uh, listeners a little bit about what you've been up to and, and wh- where you come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. So, um, I was born in Quebec, Canada, and when I was about four years old, um, my family decided to move from Quebec because uh, they wanted to start a uh, sustainable farm. So they, I think they saw some of uh, the issues that were happening around our environment. Um, and so um, it's kind of harder to farm, uh, be self-sustainable up in Canada because uh, it's pretty cold in the winter. So uh, Oregon is, is much nicer. So. From four-year-old onwards, I grew up on this project called Earth One, which uh, is is really we we don't farm to support our. It's not like we make our living off of farming. Uh, the goal is to be self-sustainable in food, energy, and water, and we've accomplished pretty much the food part, except we still have a little work to do on grain and oils and sugars. Um, the idea being both that people are going to need. Uh, environments like these, uh, but to experience an environment, for example, on our property, 75% of the land is a nature reserve, and we only farm 25% of it. So people are going to need those kinds of experiences, those kind of places for their children to grow up on. 
and also kind of as research projects as to, okay, can we really be self-sustainable? Can we live on a piece of land without exporting a bunch of inputs? Because if you're always exporting to support human life, at some point you're going to run out of resources, which is what we're seeing today. So that's kind of some of my background and where I come from, and I've been incorporating that more and more and talking about the, the case and the cause and kind of those connections. Awesome. And then so, as I mentioned, the Jordan Cove pipeline was, is an ongoing thing that the LNG were just trying to put the kibosh on, and that's where I previously saw you uh, at that rally in Salem. And that's where you got into the Youth Gov our children's trust right like they you were kind of approached almost uh, to, or like it was like a mutual friend you'd mentioned and then you're also just like swept into this kind of like you're like yeah let's sign up for that i'm just really interested in that um that part of it yeah that was uh, that was kind of how it happened you know it's one of those uh times in your life when uh you know it you kind of don't necessarily feel like anything huge is happening, but <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, so I was very heavily involved in fighting the Jordan Cove project because it was the, the pipeline was right, was very close to my farm. Um, and yeah, I just got a Facebook message from Alex Lausnack, who was one of the plaintiffs um, on the lawsuit. He was, also had a, a farm, and for many generations, his family, um, in uh, close to Elkton, Oregon. And we didn't know each other, but he reached out to me and told me about this case. <laughs> well, there's some student leaders getting pretty heated in the background with their passionate talk. I kindly asked them to quiet it down, so we'll jump back into the talk here. <laughs> close to the pipeline uh, projected place. And then all of a sudden, was this almost three years ago now, you're just like, you're in it. Yeah, it was actually a little bit more than four years ago. Oh my it was goodness. the summer of, yeah. indeed, <laughs> it was the summer of, of uh, 2015. Okay. Um, yeah, a lot of things happened that year. Um, so I joined the lawsuit uh, originally because Jordan Cove was named on the lawsuit. And then, you know, this is a cause that I care about a lot and that I knew about climate change. So it was an opportunity to not just stand up for myself, but for all the other people and communities who are impacted by destructive fossil fuel infrastructure and by the impact of climate change. Um, yeah, that was an intense year. Um, that that fall, I actually traveled to Washington, D.C. to um, protest in front of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, which hands out the permits that then allow these companies to use eminent domain to build those pipelines. So it was the federal government's kind of regulatory oversight over these fossil fuel companies. So we did a five-day water fast uh, in front of the, that agency, and some people were doing 18-day water fasts. Um, so that, and Pope Francis was coming to D.C., I think for the first time, to give a, a talk as well, and he just released his encyclical on climate change. Um, so I did a lot of work around interfaith um, and, and that fast. And then, yeah, from then on, it was, uh, it was a major part of my life. I mean, the day after we filed, I was doing an interview on MSNBC, and it kind of wow. <laughs> went up from there. <laughs> That's so wild. Um, there's just so much, and I, I think, wish to maybe uh, speed up to June 4th and what's coming, and maybe if you wanted to share some of the excitement, some of the background. It, I, it was briefly mentioned. I mean, you, you covered so much uh, today, but... Uh, during that, there's the injunction potential for the stopping of all those things. Maybe you could just elaborate on that a little bit, if you if you would. And um, 
I don't know. I'm just so excited about it. I just want to help get the word out as much as possible. It's like one month away now. So, yeah. Yeah. So this is a crucial juncture in our case uh, because our entire kind of the the entire case is uh, has been taken up by the appeals court, which is slightly different from before where the the appeals and the Supreme Court were just basically uh, had to give us the green light or the red light to go to trial. And we, you know, we've always gotten the green light, and so we're definitely hopeful for, for another green light in this case. But it's a, it's a very important juncture in the case. Um, and so you know, having a lot of public support, I mean, we saw the tremendous support from the, the Amakai briefs, the friend of the court's brief. So having those bodies out there in the streets and the visuals and the media is just really important for a justice system to see that, whoa, okay, this, you know, this is for real. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, they should see it anyways, but it's good to have that reminder. Um, and yeah, the injunction. So we filed an injunction um, to basically say, hey, until we get this trial, this due process, hey, government, stop harming us. Meanwhile, which, you know, since it's a really big case, means, okay, no more, pretty much no more new fossil fuel infrastructure until we get a trial, uh, until this issue gets decided. Uh, which I think, considering, you know, the state of the world is really reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can't be putting any more fossil infrastructure that, you know, these people invest. When you build something like a pipeline, there's so much investment that goes into it. They expect a return on investment over the next 50 years at minimum. So where is the sense in that? Mm. You know, we need to be shutting down plants that are already going, but at least don't build new ones. Because everybody knows 50 years from now, it's not going to make sense to have a pipeline. So it's kind of senseless anyways to be doing those things. Um, so that's our injunction, uh, that's our ask, and so that's going to be up under on review as well by the appeals court. Um, on June 4th. Yeah. On June 4th. And one of those judges is, uh, I believe her name is Michelle Friedland, um, and she's an Obama appointee, one of the youngest judges, I believe, on the court. And she actually wrote a powerful dissent. Um, she basically would have um, said it would have been proper for us to just go to trial mm. instead of having the appeals court take up the, the case at this juncture. So she's already rooting for, uh, or in support, basically, yes. of the the move in this direction. Okay, well, that's awesome, and I'm so excited. And I don't know if you could, and I, I'm trying to formulate the question on the spot here, but uh, you just came to our eco-social justice event, um, and you talk all over the place. Do you feel continued like you know a lot of people are like how do you stay uh, not depressed and all these different things but I'm curious if you going to place and place and school and school and all these things has that inspired you even more do you feel like you're seeing more and more people engaged and um, do you feel confident you know what I mean like because it gets I get I, I, I get hopeless sometimes I, I try and stay positive but like I'm inspired when I see you know a hundred people together and, and, and from all of our you know campuses and and engaged and we're listening and I guess I'm just curious like if you're like yeah the, the general buzz is is we're going in the right direction and we're gonna stand by this I mean we're de- dedicating our whole afternoon to making signs for the, the June 4th uh, rally and doing artivism activism um, I don't know it's just awesome that you're here and there's a question in there somewhere I'm sure that you <laughs> yeah. could respond to yeah no no um, so uh, so I, I would say that a lot of what I see happening on college campuses, I, I won't say, um, I think it's hard, you don't want to get too attached to a particular 
uh, impression of what is happening in the world, of what is happening in your community, whether enough change is happening, whether mm -hmm. the right thing is happening. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you got to do what you got to do and what is the right thing to do for you right now. And you got to worry about, about that. Um, and then I, I really believe that there are things that just build up sometimes and you don't, you don't notice them. Mm. And then suddenly something changes and then, and then all that buildup that's just gone unnoticed creates big waves of movements and suddenly everything in a society changes. But that is often invisible um, and that's a type of work that's not necessarily always visible. But it's, you know, it's the time and the effort and the sacrifice that pe countless people put, you know, just the everyday acts that countless people are putting and that um, builds up um, mm -hmm. even if it's not always. So I am inspired by that. So I tend to kind of, to kind of just take a, a broader view. Yeah, that's good. Practically speaking, well, like I was saying in my in my conference, I think there's three different types of activism, broadly speaking, as my way of thinking about it. On when you're trying to change systems, um, so individual actions, kind of artivism or cultural actions like marches, um, gathering around shared values, um, and then direct action or something that's more related to okay, suddenly like you, individuals suddenly like put their lives on the line a little bit more whether that's direct action or whether that's running for office or filing a lawsuit and generally these types of action are quite dramatic <laughs> um, and and get you know move things um, and so you know I'll, I'll say a lot of what I see happening on college campuses is I would say more community building you know people are moving away from individual or not moving away but they're recognizing uh, going beyond individual action and to like cultural action. The problem is I think sometimes, um, I, I would maybe not a problem, but I'd like to see more discussion on um, the underlying values, what we share, like we all share action on the environment, but often there's um, discussion around social justice, there's discussion about racial inequity, um, long, like related issues that are intertwined and often I either see people that kind of all agree, kind of all getting together, uh, but necessarily a deep discussion of why and, and what these values... Re so when you're talking about values and community building, I think we need more of those philosoph more philosophy um, and more, um, yeah, more discussion, deeper discussion. And I don't see as much strikes and, mm. you know, direct activism and and kind of uh, running for office or, you know, that kind of, you know, and that, and you know, that's not a judgment, but it's just, I see a lot of artivism, a lot of, mm. a lot of cultural, which is great. Um, but I think considering the emergency we're in, you know, there's, um, there's a case to be said that some things, and then of course, um, I'm really inspired by, you know, whenever people are, are kind of working on research. Mm. and different things so that's something that i see as well cool that's awesome it's called action is what you just heard <laughs> it's time to act right however we can and at whatever capacity we can because we do all have different varying privileges and levels of ability which is uh really important to stay Indeed. very aware of <laughs> and i i with so many of them i i constantly am checking that um fortune or privilege and ability that I, I do have just from the skin I'm in. Okay, one last question because uh, I forgot to ask it, but you, you touched on um, your upbringing and the awesome work that's happening on the farm, but you mentioned during the talk to uh, Unicorn uh, Project. Project. Mm -hmm. Could you, because we just, now you just touched on a couple different things. You're talking about philosophy, art, 
uh, direct action, and it seemed like you had those the you know the Venn diagram with art, religion, and I can't recall the science. and science. Okay, do you mind just kind of wrapping things up with a little bit of shout out for that because yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah, of course. So um, some of the people I work with who are also involved in the farm project. Um, so the, I'm not, you know, I'm not starting the unicorn project alone. This mm -hmm. is uh, something that I work with with many other people. Um, but it's the idea basically that um, we've become very highly individualized, especially in Western society, but even in general in the world. I think people recognize that trend. And that has impacts across the board. It has impacts on resource sharing. It has impacts on our ability to get things done collectively and to agree on policies. Um, has impacts on our politics. Um, and so the way that the Unicorn Project approaches this is that there's three broad spheres of human experience. There's art, science, and spiritual traditions, um, sometimes expressed as um, maybe the, the search for beauty being art, the search for truth being science, and the search for meaning in religion or spiritual traditions. Um, and so we're interested in what lies at the intersections of these spheres of human experience, and if there are people working at those, because the more intersection you have, kind of the harder it gets often. And so there's actually not that many people that, you know, that are really working at the core of these issues sometimes. Mm. And so trying to gather these people together. Um, and so that's what our website, unicornproject.org, is for like members pages and uh, kind of like a high on Facebook a little bit in a way. Um, and then we do the conference every summer and trying to do a winter one where we do not just talks, but workshops, live music, um, you know, organic food and different. And it's been on the farm, but it can move around. It's a cultural project. It's not associated with the farm. It can travel around. Uh, but yeah, bringing those people together and those ideas together. And so it's really a cultural project trying to deal with, okay, what, what do we need to be thinking and about and living uh, through for the, the, the coming decades and centuries? Like, where, where is this going? Because we're facing some pretty, um, not just climate change, but nuclear weapons, biotechnology, um, artificial intelligence. And we're facing some kind of new new um, existential changes that we haven't before. So trying to address that in, in the best way possible. Mm, I love it. Do you happen to read Homo Deus yet? Mm -hmm. oh, I highly recommend it. Okay. Uh, Sapiens is the first book, and then Homo Deus is the second. Mm -hmm. Noah Yuval Harari. reason I said it because you just summarized so many of the, like, I don't know, anthro you know, anthropology and just the human storyline and where we are and where we're going. And, and I don't know, I'm just appreciate your very, you know, accurate, focused, acute kind of like intentions with uh, our children's trust and these different things. But then the broader scope with what you were just mentioning, because it's so crucial that we uh, exercise our imagination. And as uh, Thea Gar, who uh, was just on the panel after you said, uh, we have to remember we're all just making this up as we go too. like, that's just like so utterly true that I love when I hear that from other people because we can make it up any way we want. Um, thank you so much. I don't know if you have any last things, just call to action, folks uh, here in the Portland area. I mean, it's so exciting that the case is coming just four weeks away, basically. Mm -hmm. um, I just really thank you for you know spending a couple of minutes here. I know you're yeah. 
tired and want to go home. <laughs> I mean, no, no, I, no, no I, you know what I mean? It's just been a long day and we're in this yeah. toasty room too, actually. <laughs> no, it's, but, uh, yeah. it's a beautiful thing to be able to, to connect uh, as people, as individuals and talk. You know, I, I had some really good questions from people um, after the panel, really good discussions. So, you know, it's a responsibility to, I think, every one of us and <laughs> me especially because I'm, you know, uh, up there speaking and have been given a platform in many different ways as we all have and like you were talking you know it's important to remember that you know what each person faces in their own lives is often different but there's there's and each one of us knows to some extent what we could do better um, and what is our next step that we have to take and so you know, sometimes we generalize with these things. And of course, everybody has different life situation, different privileges, different responsibilities associated with that. Um, you know, you know, privilege is, is, you can also think of the flip side as a responsibility. It becomes a negative when people don't live up to their responsibilities. It becomes a positive when people do live up to those responsibilities. Um, so, so, you know, I've got a lot of responsibility, and I think we all living in the world today do, just, just from the fact of what's going on around us, we're kind of forced to reckon with mm. something beyond just our individuality and our family or our close bubble. So I really wish that everybody listening to this kind of does reflect on that and most importantly take action on that in their own lives. Yes. Thank you again. That was awesome. <laughs> That was awesome. Take action. The time is now. Now is the time for all good people to come to the aid of their reality. We have a great opportunity, and as Jacob said, a chance to reckon with what we've created and what we're facing. I give the biggest thanks I can to Jacob LaBelle for sitting in talking with me, and I'll be seeing him and all the plaintiffs in the Juliana versus the U.S. climate trial in downtown Portland, Oregon, and I hope to see you there, too. And to the youth around the world who once again showed up for this massive worldwide climate strike, I tip my hat to you. Well over a million young humans have walked out of their schools and into the public's awareness to illuminate their passion for addressing and, yes, acknowledging the rather dire situation we face with climate chaos and environmental breakdown. We have this short window of time to alter our course and trajectory. I applaud the youth for standing up and having their voices heard. To Greta Thunberg and all of those little sparks around the world who have built this blaze of power from the youth. Ah, it's so exciting. And I send a big cheers and big old thanks to my fellow planning committee members who helped put together this year's eco social justice event. It was a great success. And you can read more about that and the uh, Earth Week events across Portland Community College uh, if you go to pcc.edu backslash sustain. And I'd also like to thank my darling wife, Rachel Robinson, for the intro and outro music on today's episode, which was recorded, edited, and produced by me, Joe Colhane. And to all of you out there around the country and world graduating from college or high school in these coming weeks, 
I say well done. And as I once again recommend, I think it's time we get humble, be kind, be patient, be gracious, and by all means, let us love them all. Every last one we meet. Yeah.